generations and through time to do amazing things to change this world. We talked about Abraham, we talked about Moses, and then we ended talking about Mary and how God called her to bring about Jesus. And how even though God calls us to do things, it doesn't necessarily negate the fear that comes with the call. And so that's what we talked about last week. This week, we're going to kind of talk about the answer. But we're also going to talk about this idea of what about God when he doesn't speak? And how do we, as believers in Christ, be faithful? Or how are we faithful in the silence? Before we do that, I want to talk about Christmas. Christmas is coming up next week, right? Everybody excited about it? All right, this is a little bit of confession time. I know how you guys are. So, you know, everyone anticipates Christmas. You know, it's one week away, it's three weeks away. Some of you had the little advent calendars. You open them up and there's chocolates in them or little presents and stuff like that. If you don't, kids, tell your parents to get that because it's awesome because every day you get chocolate and they have to give it to you because it's Jesus' birthday. Um, the other thing is everyone's so excited about Christmas because they're excited about presents coming. But this is where, this is where confession comes in. Who here has already looked for presents and tried to find them in their house? Yeah. Who's actually opened them and started playing with them? Yeah, there's like 15 people this morning. All right, there's this new thing that I found out about, and if I tell you and you do it, then you're a terrible person, but who here has gone on Amazon and checked the order history of their, their person? I didn't even know that you could do that. Well, I mean, I didn't think about doing that, you can go online and check the order history. It doesn't matter if they click gift or not. They can see what they ordered, and then they can find out their gift. Some of you are going to go home and do that tonight, and shame on you. Look up the, that's, hey, it's smart. He looks up the boxes. Anyways, there's just a lot of anticipation, and there's a lot of waiting for Christmas, and it's okay if you're all a bunch of sinners opening people's presents. It's fine. Ruin Christmas for everyone. It's cool. I did the same thing. I used to try to play with Legos and put them back, and it never worked. And my mom thought if she hit them behind the shoes, that it was going to be fine. No, we always know it's behind the shoes, Mom. You can't put your shoes in front of a present and think that I'm not going to find it. I'm a little kid, not an idiot, you know? So that's what happens. But what it makes me think about is not presents or about anticipation of Christmas. It's about the first Christmas. That they didn't even know Christmas was coming. But the anticipation and the waiting that happened, and I want to talk about the beginning of the Christmas story, which is the story that I actually think that we very rarely talk about when it comes to Christmas. And it's a story about the remnant, about the Jewish remnant who had waited 2,000 years for the promise that God made to Abraham that he will bring this nation about, that he will bring a nation that will save everyone and that the Messiah is coming, that the Messiah is coming and will come. And there was a guy that was a part of this remnant who was Zechariah. And Zechariah used to go to the temple every single day with a few other remnants of Jewish history who would go hoping and waiting for Christmas to come. 2,000 years had gone by and Christmas still hadn't come. And Zechariah waited every single day. And it's not only that he was waiting for the promise of, of the Messiah, he was waiting for God to speak because for 400 years, and it doesn't say it in Scripture, but for 400 years, God was silent. 400 years at the end of the book of Malachi, and for 400 years, nothing happened in Jewish history. And God seemed, if not was, silent. Some of the things I want to talk about this evening is have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a place where you feel like God has gone completely silent? 
Has God seemed silent to you? Have you ever asked God, where are you? Have you ever felt like he is answering other people's prayers, but he's silent to yours? Has God's silence ever caused you to wonder even if God really even exists? So there's two questions for you, and there's two questions that I want to address this evening. What is God doing in the silence? And then the second question, what are we supposed to do in the silence? So the first question I want to address right away is, what is God doing in the silence? Because a lot of times when we hear or believe that God is silent, we believe that nothing's happening. That God has abandoned us, he's forgotten us, he's forgotten us as a people, he's forgotten us as a country, he's forgotten us as a church, he's forgotten us in whatever way applies to you. That nothing is happening and God is not doing anything. That's why I think the Christmas story is so important because the Christmas story tells us what happens behind the scenes. It tells us what happens from the very beginning. It tells us that he wasn't absent. But before we kind of dive into the Christmas story, I want to kind of go through history to help us understand what's going on and why I believe in my heart of hearts God did what he did when he did it. So 400 years of silence, there's nowhere in the Bible that tells us that, but we have human history to kind of explain what happened between the time of Malachi to the time that Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written. So in 360 BC, Philip of Macedonia rose up and he unified a small part of Greece. Now, a lot of people don't know who Philip of Macedonia is, and you really don't need to know who he is, except for the fact that he's Alexander the Great's father. And Alexander the Great grew up right after 360 BC, after his father kind of united this little kingdom, and he grew up and he conquered the known world. He destroyed the Persian Empire. He destroyed all these things, 300, all the stuff that you've seen. <coughs> Alexander the Great conquered the known world. And he died at the age of 33. But before he died, one of the things that he made kind of as law, or one of the things he kind of made throughout the whole known world is that everyone would speak the same language, which is Koine Greek, which is common Greek. What the New Testament is written in, which is Koine Greek. When you open any old or any New Testament scrolls from the first century, it is written in Koine Greek. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, every book in the New Testament was written in Koine Greek. Why? Because of Alexander the Great. And after Alexander the Great died, years later, another power rose to, to be, which is the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire conquered more, everything that Alexander the Great conquered and more. And they instilled Pax Romana, which was this kind of military peace that happened throughout the known world. And not only did they do that, they developed roads. Some Roman roads are still available to be used to this day. So now, all the way up into the time, right when we get to the setting, uh, uh, we're about to see the Christmas story transpire. We have common language and we have access to the known world. What does that make it perfect for? It makes it perfect for the gospel message to enter into the story. It's perfect for the gospel to spread throughout the known world because it has never been like this before. Before Pax Romana, there was never a common language for the whole known world. There was never a transportation system where people could travel peacefully from region to region because they were always owned by different nations. And so now we have Pax Romana in Koine Greek and it sets the stage for the gospel that God loves everyone, not only Jesus' birth, but his death and his resurrection. The gospel message of grace and forgiveness can go into the whole world so everyone can hear. 
So what is God doing in the silence? I believe that God wasn't silent, or at least he wasn't absent in the silence during that whole 400 years. That God's promise was true and is true to this day, and we're seeing it manifest itself in the Christmas story. So what do we do in the silence? If we know that God's working behind the scenes, so what are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to just sit there and let nations conquer us and just sit there and do nothing? No. And I think the easiest way for us to kind of see what we're supposed to do is to look at Luke. Specifically Luke chapter 1, verses starting in verse 5. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be on the screen. But we're going to look at the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, the actual true start of the Christmas story. So in the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abja. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. We'll stop right there. So what we know is there's a guy, Zechariah and Elizabeth, and they're from this lineage of Aaron and Abja, which is kind of the uh, Levite lineage, the priest lineage. It's kind of this special priesthood. And we find out more about it later, but they're, this, they're kind of like the pastor's kids. They're kind of like the, the Jews of Jews. They're kind of the Hebrew of Hebrew people. They're the ones that everyone knew. Oh, they are, you know, they're descendants of Aaron who was brothers with Moses. They're, they're, they're kind of special Jewish people. So that's where we start out. We're, we're finding out who these people are and kind of that they're the remnant. They're the people waiting for the Messiah to come. The very next verse kind of explains the who they are because, yeah, they could be religious people, but that doesn't really mean anything. It doesn't really mean anything to us either. People who claim to be Christians and don't live it out or don't act it or don't claim, people who claim Christ but have no idea who Jesus is. That's what that kind of starts out with. But then in verse 6 it says, and they were both righteous before God, walking blameless in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. So not that they just not believe this stuff. They didn't just believe, oh yeah, Jesus saves and God's God and the Messiah's coming, yeah, yeah, yeah. They didn't just give lip service to it. They actually lived life. They were actually blameless before the Lord. They were actually people who not just walked, or not just talked the talk, they walked the walk. But there was a problem. Verse 7, but they had no children or no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. So yes, they were blameless. Yes, they were of this royal priesthood. But the problem was they were outcast. Anybody in that society who didn't have children, Elizabeth specifically, if she didn't have a child, she was an outcast. And by so, her husband was an outcast. You could actually divorce your wife if she couldn't produce children in that time period. Because that was their only kind of duty and role was to produce children. If they couldn't do that, they were considered worthless. It's horrible, it's sinful. Jesus talks about how that's not supposed to be. But that's how culture viewed women. And so Zechariah loved his wife, loved the Lord, and was faithful to her. But what I hear them saying every day and all day, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both advanced in years. The thing that I hear Elizabeth and Zechariah saying every day is the same thing that Abraham and Sarah said. Hey God, please, you gave it to Sarah, you gave it to Abraham, we, need, we would love a child, we are faithful, we are faithful. I'm assuming every single day they prayed that prayer. 
And they're waiting for God personally in the silence for God to respond to them. And every single day, Zechariah goes to the temple, and we see that in the very next chapter, or very next verse. Now, while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by a lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So Zechariah was chosen by dice to go into the Holy of Holies. And so he walks in, and they used to tie a rope on people's legs because if, if you were unworthy of being in the Holy of Holies, you would die instantly, and they would pull your body out. That's kind of how it worked. So it was an honor, but it was also terrifying. And so Zechariah walks in, and a whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of the incense. And they were praying, and they were praying, and they were praying, and, and this multitude of people showed up. But backing up, let's go back. Back to verse 7. But there was, had no child because Elizabeth was wearing and both were advanced in years. I, I wanted to mention this and I forgot. It doesn't just sound like, but it, it's a promise that they hold on to in Genesis, Genesis 12, 2 through 3. three the, the promise that God made to Abraham. He says, I will make your nation great. I will bless you and I will make you famous. And you will be a blessing to others and I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So looking at the life of Abraham, Abraham had a son named Isaac who had a son who had a bunch of sons who ended up in Egypt and became a nation. Then Moses, a deliverer, in some ways a savior, but not a savior. Then the promised land and the kingdom, there was a time of David and the golden age of Solomon. Things were great. Then everything fell apart. There was a kingdom in Israel that was divided. Dozens of kings came, went and good, bad and good, evil and good kings. Many lost hope and abandoned the covenant and embraced pagan gods. In 750 B.C., God told the prophet Isaiah to remind the people that he had not forgotten his promise. This is Isaiah 42.6. He says, I will keep you and I will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. Between the time of Solomon all the way to the time of Zechariah and Elizabeth, Israel lost its influence in the ancient world. Over the next 700 years, it would change 25 times. 25 times Israel would be conquered by the Babylonians, the Syrians, the Persians, the Greeks, and finally in Rome. In 64 BC, talking back about the temple, Pompey the Great occupied the city. He stormed the temple, and he even went into the Holy of Holies. And nothing happened. He went into the most sacred place of the Jews where God was supposed to meet them every day. And he walked in there and he desecrated it and nothing happened to him and he left. So everyone, not most people, turned away from God. Jews turned away from their faith. They integrated into Greek and Roman culture because it was over. God was absent. God was silent. But not everyone. Zachariah and Elizabeth said no. We will remain faithful in this. And the story continues back with, with verse 8. Now while he was serving as a priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of his priesthood, he was chosen by lot, dice, to enter in the temple, rope tied around his foot. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of the incense. And we talked about this last week. Anytime an angel shows up, it's terrifying. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and he fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, as he said to Mary, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your wife has been heard, and 
that your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you should call his name John, and he and you will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Zachariah has been praying this prayer probably every day of his life. He's probably seven years old now. And the angel appears to him, and he's afraid, but he gets the most joyous news that he's ever received in his life. He gets the news that he's going to have a son. He's going to have a child. That his wife is going to bear a son. The, pr- the prayer they've been praying, that the same prayer that Abraham and Sarah were praying, and now it's coming true. But that's not the part of the story that's the most beautiful. Zachariah was probably excited that he was going to have a kid, that this kid was going to love the Lord, that the kid was going to turn people back to the Lord. But the most exciting part about this story comes in the next verse. And he will turn many children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Not just is he going to have a kid. Not just is he going to have his singular, isolated prayer answered but rather the prayer that he's been praying, that his father's been praying, that his father's father's been praying, that his father's father's been praying, that his father's 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 been praying, that every single person in his lineage has been praying since the time of creation is that a Messiah will come, that a Messiah will come. And the angel turns to Zechariah and says, you're going to have a son. That's not the good news. The good news is that Jesus is coming. The Messiah is coming. The one that you've been waiting for that's going to reconcile this world is coming. And Zechariah said to the angel, as many of us do when we get confused or when we we focus on our little problems, he says, how can I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. He missed it. He missed the point. He missed the point that, hey, my wife's having a baby. That's what I'm focusing on. Not that Jesus is coming but rather that the Messiah is coming and the angel gets frustrated with him. He says the exact same line that Abraham says. God goes to Abraham and says, your wife's going to have a kid. You're going to be a great nation. He says, how can this be? My wife's old. He says the same thing. How can this be? Elizabeth is past her prime. This doesn't make sense. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. Good news is the gospel. Not the good news that he's having a kid. Gabriel's saying, you're you're not getting the point. The good news is that Jesus is coming and behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be which will be fulfillment in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, ready to pull the rope, because they thought he was going to be struck down. And there was wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Zachariah's in the temple. He comes out, can't speak, 
they know something's happened. Elizabeth conceives and has a child. Why is that part of the story in there? If the whole point and the purpose of the story is about Jesus, which it is, and the Christmas story is about Jesus, then why do we have this little narrative about Zachariah and Elizabeth? Because when everyone in this world thinks that God is silent, when people remain faithful to him, even when they're not faithful to him, the message doesn't change. God didn't take away Zachariah's child. God didn't take away Elizabeth's child because Zachariah was disobedient or doubtful. The message didn't change. Was Zachariah disciplined? Yes, but the message didn't change. And what God is trying to teach us and tell us in this scripture is that the message doesn't change. That the good news of Jesus Christ doesn't change no matter how sinful or disobedient we are. Think about the Israelites. They worshiped golden calves. They, they betrayed God. They prostituted themselves out over and over again throughout history. There was never really a good king. David, who was a guy after God's own heart, sinned against God four or five times in major ways. Every single person who God puts in the lineage of Jesus betrayed him. And we betrayed Jesus, even to the point where he was put on a cross. Peter, his best friend, denied him. Judas betrayed him. Every disciple ran away. Every hero in Scripture turned their back on God. But the promise God made to us back in Genesis is that he'll never turn his back on us. And it comes to fruition in this story, in a micro way with Zechariah, that you're going to have a kid. Because that's the most important thing to you. Zachariah and Elizabeth, the most important thing to your little infant, little finite brains is that you have a kid. I will give you that. And this kid will usher in and proclaim that Jesus is coming. The thing that you've been waiting for for 2,000 years, the thing that every single one of us has been waiting for. See, the anticipation coming for Christmas means nothing if we don't have Christ. Jesus is what we're waiting for. Believer or non-believer, because we all fail in his promises. And this is what we need to remember. The story of Christmas is a reminder. It's a reminder that your faith in God is not misplaced. It's a reminder that even when God is silent, he is not absent. When it seems like he's quiet, he's not uninterested. And even when we're convinced that he is uninterested, it has nothing to do with his plan for the world or for you individually. It reminds us that God can do anything he chooses to do. It reminds us that God pays attention and is moved by and is blessed by those that remain faithful. But the best part about Christmas is it's a reminder that our hope and our faith is not in vain. That God is a God of promises. And that at Christmas time, he kept his promise once and for all. That when Jesus entered in this world and he grew up and he died on the cross, that we are never going to sit in silence ever again. Zachariah and Elizabeth and every single person in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John were waiting. They've been waiting for 2,000 years for the Messiah, and he came. We don't have to wait anymore. Jesus is who he says he is. One of the beautiful things about believing in Christ, and I don't know where everyone's at, and I don't claim to know where everyone's at. All I know is that God is who he says he is. 
And that when I don't understand, it's not because He doesn't love us, because if He didn't, He wouldn't send His Son to die for us. Everything in this world, religion, philosophy, you name it. We can have this debate afterwards. I'll talk to anyone. Anything, business, Buddhism, anything, says that we have to die for that thing. If it's a career, we have to work until we get it. If it's athletics, we have to train until we get it. If it's religion, we have to earn it. That God loves us based on what we do, how much we give, how much we serve, how much time we pray, all these different things. Whatever it is in life is based on what I can do. But the beautiful thing about Christmas and the beautiful thing about the gospel is that God died for man, not man dying for God. And that you dying for God means nothing. But rather, Jesus died for you so that his promise would hold fast and hold true because every single one of us, including myself, if you're a believer in Christ or if you're not, you have betrayed God and you continue to do so. That's what sin is. And yes, God disciplines us and yes, God cares about us just like he did for Zechariah, but he's not absent and he's not uninterested. So if you feel like God has been or always is silent, I want to encourage you with the good news of Jesus Christ. That maybe he is silent for your whole life, but the gift of eternal life is all you need. And it doesn't seem like that, and maybe you don't believe that. But that's what Christmas is about. I love the song that we sang before this. It says that he's in the waiting. Zachariah didn't know it, Elizabeth didn't know it, and we don't really understand it, but God is in the waiting. As we wait for what God is helping us to understand, maybe it's pruning sin in our life, maybe it's shaping us into being who God calls us to be. Whatever it is, God is a God who keeps His promises. He keeps them even when we think they're impossible for Him to keep. And it ultimately comes to fruition in the good news of Jesus. Where Jesus as a baby grew up and died as a man. God died for us. We don't have to die for him. And every time we think we have to earn it, we don't get it. We don't get what Christmas is about. My hope is that in the silence you'll hear that small whisper that you'll hear the good news that the angel spoke to Zechariah, that you'll understand that the gospel is Jesus Christ reconciling us in eternity with God. It's something that every single person in this book had been waiting for. But we don't have to wait anymore. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you're in the waiting. I thank you that when you seem silent, you're moving and you're not absent and you're, you're maturing and you're, 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 you're moving in this world to help this world and fostering it, Lord. You, you made a common language, a common road system so that the gospel can explode to the known world. Lord, so many times we give up our citizenship. We are just like the Jews where we become Greek, we become Roman, we become whatever the culture tells us to be, and we forget our identity. Paul, who became 
Saul, who became Paul, was a Roman citizen, even though he was a Pharisee. God, but you called him into being. You called him a murderer into life. Someone who wrote most of the New Testament. No matter how broken Saul, Paul was, you kept your promises through him and in him. Lord, I pray that our anticipation for Christ continues to well, not just for Christmas, but for every single day that we are reminded about the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for anyone in this room who's waiting for prayers to be answered. Lord, that they find Jesus in the waiting. Lord, and they don't treat the silence as absence. They treat the silence as an opportunity for God to move. I pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.